If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Most of you are probably saying as I say that, that is my favorite Christmas text. And uh, obviously not. One of our campus and teaching pastors who crafted this series together uh, did a great job, I think, of navigating into some passages of Scripture that point us into this biblical story, this Christmas story, but, but that do at least catch us by surprise enough that maybe the familiar story can become unfamiliar. And so, I don't know about you, but watching both of those videos, I'll be vulnerable with you for a moment. I, since I was a kid, I've walked through and struggled with clinical depression, and I still do to this day. And so seeing that story, seeing and hearing the stories of people who, who navigate whatever it is in your life that, that disturbs and alters and affects the peace that we all long for. And even if it's as silly as what we saw in that second video, which, by the way, we had to bring out the vacuum one, two, three times for the broken ornaments. And uh, we did our best not to give the glass ones to the little ones. And, um, and yet, it's not easy to monitor that many kids at one time. So, all that to say, regardless of the level, the intensity, the nature of the things that disturb our peace, we know that the angels declared that Christ's coming was for peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And my prayer is that as we walk through these texts, these passages of Scripture, through this series, that we ourselves, in the midst of our own brokenness and lack of peace, whether it's schedule or whether it's something inside, that we'll be reminded of the peace that we have in Christ. So let's read this text together and process today about stability. Stability. Hebrews 1 verse 1 says, Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you now and in these next few moments 
as we already have done through singing and through praying and through greeting one another and through even witnessing the chance to learn together with the children that sat here on these steps. We just ask for in this moment that we might get at least just a a taste or a glimpse of the peace that we so desperately need. So no matter where we each are, whether in a joyous season or a difficult season, may we take in a deep breath of you right now. And may we be reminded of, of where, where, from where our stability comes. May you, may your spirit speak to us through your word. We pray in your name. Amen. You've probably heard the statement, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And I don't know about you, but when I read the biblical narrative, when I read through the stories of the Bible, I question that statement. Do you? I mean, just turn in later into Hebrews, into what is typically called the Hall of Fame chapter, the Faith Hall of Fame, chapter 11 of Hebrews, and there's plenty in that Hall of Fame of stories of people who were not very safe. The Son of God himself was crucified right in the center of his Father's will. So what does that mean? How do we have the safety that that statement typically speaks of? Is that statement true? Is it true that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will? I would suggest that being in the center of God's will is often not very safe, but it's stable. It's secure. And so if the safety that you're looking for is ease, just a good life, something that's not hard, I'll never forget the day in our marriage and we were walking through some ups and downs and we ourselves were seeking counseling and we were, we were wondering, how are we going to make it through this? And there came a day where I had a bit of a breakthrough and, and said that to my wife. And she looked at me square in the eyes and she said, well, I've had a breakthrough too. For the first time in my life, I realize that something that's not good doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. That something that's hard doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. And she said, because this has been hard, but it's not wrong. We long for stability, right? I mean, even my kids, who as many as we have, they're very different in wiring and personality. And every one of them, in their own unique way, desires stability. Our oldest, for example, he wants to know the plan, Tell him the plan, and he's in. He's on board. He'll even go communicate it with other people. But if he doesn't know it, there's hesitation. 
right? There's, there's this sense of, if you would just tell me what's going on. And then our second, Katie, right? She, she's more the type that says, I don't really care. Is there a plan? What, what's a plan? Are people going to be there? Is it going to be fun? Can we relate? What are we going to play? What are we going to do? What are we going to sing? How are we going to, right? That, her wiring is totally different. It doesn't matter about the plan. And yet she's very strategic. She desires stability. And we each need it in certain ways. But safety is not guaranteed. I think Grant's story and any of our stories of needing stability and peace are so powerful because what they imply is there aren't moments or seasons where complete peace is right here and now and it's just going to be nothing of nothing but stillness and calmness and no war. In fact, throughout the biblical narrative, the reason refuge and peace are consistently needed is because the battle is consistent as well. And if we're honest, we all feel that way. And it was no different for the people who received the message of Hebrews. The guy who mentored me in college, Dr. George Guthrie, he did his dissertation on Hebrews. And I remember over and over, any time in our studies, he would, we would go to Hebrews. He would typically start whatever we were talking about with this statement. Don't forget that the people reading this not only were ready to throw in the towel, most of them had already picked it up to throw. And I don't know, Christmas is a happy time. Christmas is a joyous time. There, there's so many feelings that go with it, but it can be a very hard time as well. And you may be in that place. You may be saying, I'm ready to throw in the towel like these who were hearing this message were. And yet the one speaking this message to these who heard Hebrews starts with this. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. Talk about unstable. The times of the prophets were as unstable as it gets, right? I mean, we heard the story of David and Goliath. We, We can hear story after story after story in the Old Testament of the need for peace because instability seemed to be the common thread of the day. We see it not only when there was actual land and no war. They, they, they were trying to inhabit and grow in the land, and yet there was inner, inner struggle, divisiveness among the people of Israel. And then they were taken over and exiled, and then they eventually returned. And, and, and the story is even told of those who rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem with a brick in one hand and the sword in the other. And then... There came a time of silence. It's interesting, isn't it? If you're like me, silence doesn't come easily. There are very few days where it's quiet around our house. 
maybe at 2 a.m. Jen and I joked with each other just even yesterday that once all the kids are out and gone, well, we have used up all of our words. We may need like three or four years of just restitute. Especially the teenagers who want to talk at 11 o'clock at night. And they don't have to get up as early as we do. Stability, peace, a word, that silence that came in the midst of that instability. Is there anything more unstable, more disturbing than a silence when you desperately need a word? And 400 years of silence, and then the silence is broken. The silence is broken. It's interesting because Jesus himself, the one who broke that silence, right, even he felt and dealt with the feelings of instability. I mean, the very Bible that he would lean on in his times alone with the Father, if you want to call it that, were the words of these prophets that we just read about in this verse, right? The, 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 the scriptures, the scrolls that he looked to as his word in that day in the first century, right? As a, as a Jew growing up. It was the words of these prophets that the, the author, the speaker of Hebrews is referring to. And so Jesus himself in the garden felt that disturbance when tempted by the evil one, felt that instability, He knows and feels the same instability that we feel. And yet, he leaned back into that. He leaned back and would regularly have time alone with the Father. If it's never struck you that God in skin needed time by himself with God, If it's never struck you at how beautifully odd that is, at how telling that is of our need for peace and stability and quiet and a moment where we can remind ourselves in the midst of all of this instability that there is security, that there is peace. Jesus felt that, and yet the Scriptures tell us in several places that he would often draw away to be still. God knows we need this. He knows the words of the prophet were not enough. And so verse 2 says, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. In the language of this, in the original language, what it's really saying is, Jesus is the final word. Tim Tim Keller says that the only way we will have stability is if we have finality. The only way we will have stability is if we have finality. What does he mean by that? Until something is spoken that's final, until something, until we come to grips, even in our relationships, that there are some things that are just final. For example, I can't expect my wife to be someone my wife isn't. 
At some point in this vow, in this learning of love with each other, I have to accept and she has to accept of me. We have to both understand there's some finality to this. I'm not going to change everything, nor is she. And yet we're growing toward a oneness. And even the finality of the need for that understanding gives us the stability to actually try to work at it. And it's it's true in our friendships, it's true in our plans, it's true in all of our directives, the finality of things. That's why the psalmist would say multiple times, count your days, right? It's the counting of the days, the finality of the days that leads us to really take a breath and be sobered in the moment. And this final word is spoken, the finality of Jesus. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. You see, this message that God had always been trying to communicate, the message that the prophet spoke of, that message came to life. Jesus wasn't just a supernatural messenger like the angels were. He was the message itself. He was the message. The message come to life. Look at verse 3. It says, in fact, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. The word translated there, expression, it's the Greek word from which we get the English word character. The very character of God right there in front of us in Jesus. If we needed any more stability, any more final word, God decided to put skin on the word himself and he showed up right into the midst of us. And look at what he says. Sustaining all things by his what? powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Do you hear what he's saying here? He goes on to talk about this superior to angels thing. He's saying, look, angels are messengers, but Jesus is the message. Angels are otherworldly kingdom warriors, but Jesus is the king. And he showed up and conclusively with finality said, this is how it is. And then he goes on. So he became superior to the angels. Just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. The reason that there's stability is because the last word has already been spoken. Everybody wants a plan. Right? Just in the last three weeks, I thought this was kind of odd. Maybe I should listen. Maybe this is God speaking to me. Just in the last three weeks, we already have a financial advisor, somebody that's worked with our family to try to look ahead and plan. But in the last three weeks, I've had three contact me and say, I need a plan. Maybe they're just doing their job well, or maybe I need to listen. 
Maybe I need to reevaluate my plan. But we're all, right? We're looking for ahead. Will we be okay? Will, will I be okay? Am I okay right now? What, what is this like? We, we want, but the final word, the plan himself showed up already. And that plan, that word, that finality, Jesus not only designed me and determined me and defined me, but even now describes me. And I in this moment and you in this moment also identify with the name that is superior to the angels. You see, angels were created by God too. But they were not begotten by him. Angels were created by God too, but they were not his only begotten son. And his final word, Jesus. Do you know what it says about us? In the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of what you feel like will never change. Wholeness has already been nailed down. And it's yours. In the midst of an identity crisis where you wonder, who am I? What what am I? How is this going to turn out? I thought this, but now this. This dream shattered. This goal, this hope, no, no longer. In the midst of all of that, right? The final word speaks and says, you're worth dying for. You're worth dying for. We have stability only because a final word has already been spoken. And we live in the not yet now. We live in the what will be now. And if you didn't notice that in the text, verse 2, 3, and 4 is the was, is, and is to come. And so as Jesus identifies himself in Revelation as the was and the is and is to come, verse 2 tells us the was, verse 3 tells us the is, and verse 4 tells us the is to come. And that's our reality. And I'm not just giving you academic theology or cliches or platitudes this morning. I'm challenging you, if you want to go deeper with God, spend the rest of your life swimming in the final word, Jesus. Because you'll only have stability as you recognize that your identity is wrapped up in that name too. And that's it. And it's practical and it's pragmatic as it fleshes itself out in the now. All the while reminding ourselves that who we really are is anchored in the not yet. That's what faith is. Faith is a drop of the anchor in the heaven that doesn't even exist in our time. 
Faith is the drop of the anchor into the reality that has already been set and determined. Faith is the drop of the anchor that says, I'm stable even in the storm. This anchor will hold. And his name is Jesus. I just want us to take a moment and pray. And as we continue in this series over the next few weeks, as we continue to light these Advent candles, I want to ask you, the words that we focus on, would you be willing each week just to take that word for this week and let it become a simple prayer for you? Lord, this week, help me to remember why I have stability. That's the prayer for this week. Help me to remember, Lord, why I have stability. And if you're anything like me, you need reminding of that often. Let's take a few minutes just to pray. And Kyle's going to come and play. And let's just let there be quiet. Let's let there be peace. And take a deep breath and reflect on the final word. <laughs>